Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDBE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another Thursday night edition of Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. I'm Mike Prasuda along with Matt Williamson. We are your Thursday night tag team in season getting you ready for the Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday at Heinz Field. Uh, let's get to the news of the day right off the bat here because there was a significant development today on the south side. Offensive coordinator Randy Feekner meeting the media via Zoom and talking about Ben Roethlisberger's status. Feekner said, quote, we'll prepare and continue to prepare as if Ben's playing. Now, head coach Mike Tomlin had expressed some optimism on Tuesday that Roethlisberger, one of four players who was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list in the wake of tight end Vance McDonald's positive test. Tomlin had expressed optimism that those four guys all would be available or could be available. I should say that list includes inside linebacker Vince Williams, running back Jalen Samuels, and offensive lineman Gerald Hawkins. Uh, Feigner saying that they are preparing as if Roethlisberger is going to play today and adding, quote, I know from a mental standpoint, he'll be ready to go. Now, defensive coordinator Keith Butler also did the Zoom thing with the media on coordinator Thursday and said of Williams, quote, we expect Vince to come ready to play. So, Matt, I guess if there were two guys on that list that you'd pick to play, if you could only pick two, they'd be Roethlisberger and Vince Williams. Good news, no? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of leadership communication aspects to both of them, obviously with Ben. Uh, veteran guys that I don't think would be greatly affected by missing the week of physical practice and just doing mental reps from home and all that as well. Um, you need some stability at that linebacker spot right now. They've been kind of searching a little bit since Bush went out, and now Williamson could possibly get involved as well. And obviously, I think it goes without saying. I mean, Ben's importance to the team is just massive. No. As far as the uh, practice participation went today, Derek Watt, fullback, uh, hamstring, full participation for a second consecutive day. It's trending as if they're going to get Watt back 
Cornerback Mike Hilton's shoulder uh, downgraded from a full participant on Wednesday to limited today. Not sure what that means uh, with regard to Hilton's status. The Bengals have some issues as well. Uh, not participating today. Cornerback Mackenzie Alexander, illness. Offensive tackle Bobby Hart, knee. Uh, running back Joe Mixon, foot. Mixon has missed the last two games, and he's missed two out of two days of practice this week. And also cornerback Darius Phillips, groin, missed for a second consecutive day. Offensive tackle Jonah Williams, trying to get over a stinger that held him out a couple of weeks ago against Tennessee. He was limited for a second consecutive day. Also a cornerback LaShawn Sims, concussion limited, and wide receiver John Ross, foot. Ross uh, showing up for the first time on the practice report today. He didn't play uh, two Sundays ago against Tennessee. Uh, Cincinnati was off last Sunday. We've got uh, a lot to talk about tonight as it relates to the Bengals, but Matt, I wanted to lead off the show uh, getting your impressions of that Steelers win over Dallas on Sunday. Another come-from-behind effort. Uh, ben Roethlisberger able to spread it out again and really get some good work done with that personnel group that they've uh, kind of cobbled together. Four receivers and a tight end. Uh, Eric Ebron is the tight end and the receiver's uh, that they're using a lot uh, as a foursome. Uh, Chase Claypool, Ray-Ray McLeod, Deontay Johnson, and Juju Smith-Schuster, and they are uh, moving the ball in the no-huddle with these guys and overcoming deficits and getting the ball in the end zone. Matt, are you uh, more intrigued with this, or are you more concerned with not being able to convert third and short and fourth and short on the ground uh, the, with the avalanche of rushing yards they've been given up and with the uh, – seemingly uh, throwing things at the wall and hoping something will stick in terms of the sub-package defense? Uh, a lot to unpeel there. I mean, I, I do think that that package you mentioned without a running back on the field, and I don't know if you know this or not, but it sure seemed like there was very few running back snaps, period, in the second half of that game. Um, I guess Ray Ray could get a, an end around or a jet sweep, something like that as a carry. No, no, no. They're not running the ball. <laughs> spreading it out and throwing it. That's, yeah, exactly. That is Ben in charge and Ben in command. And let's go yeah. um, for better or worse. I would expect that we'll see a fair amount of it this week, though, too. I mean, like you look at that Bengals secondary, particularly the corner position, I think William Jackson's back to being a really good player, but the rest of their corners are far from proven, healthy. I mean, if you can get three, four corners on the field and, and you know play it that way and play to Ben's strengths, I think we'll see plenty of that. I am a little worried about the Steelers running the ball, I mean, without question, but there was very little dedication to the run game. It's probably something we should talk to Merrill about at some point. I mean, the, the whole pounding the rock thing. Um, you have to stick with it and stick with it. But I also thought that the the Steeler linemen, offensive linemen, looked a little weary. You know, it looked like the third road game in a row. It looked, you know, Ravens hangover. Just didn't get off the ball like they usually do. Vance McDonald was kind of a ghost, and now we can understand why. He didn't have a fullback. The other blockers didn't help the cause either. I'm not super worried about the Steeler running game. I think it'll come. But I don't know that it'll ever be a, an upper-tier run game. Yeah, early in the season, they were cranking out the 100-yard backs more often than not, and yeah. uh, they were able to control the ball at the end of games. Uh, that was uh, tension-getting to me uh, that they couldn't convert the short yard and stuff, particularly that drive 
uh, after they had seemingly won the game by turning Dallas over inside of two minutes, and then they were unable to run the clock out. And Mike Tomlin, uh, too concerned about his place-kicking operation to try a field goal that would have given the Steelers an eight-point lead. And lo and behold, uh, they end up throwing the ball, uh, the Cowboys do, into the end zone on the final snap with a chance to steal the game. But uh, let's talk, um, since I gave you so much to unpeel yeah, with that initial salvo, Let's get back to uh, third down defense because this continues to be front and center on my mind. Uh, Dallas was 8 of 17, 47%. Uh, the week before, the Ravens were 53%. That's 50% uh, over the last two games. That ain't cutting it. That is, uh, if that was your total for the season, you would be among the worst third down teams in the league. And they tried the base defense on third down four times. Uh, the base went 0 for 4, stopping the chains from moving. They tried the nickel six times. Uh, the nickel uh, was four out of six. And uh, the dime was five out of seven. Now, the, the asterisk attached there is on two of those occasions, the Cowboys almost converted but didn't. I guess, I, I mean, I guess the idea is to stop them. But on one of them, Zeke Elliott ran for like eight and three quarters yards on a third and nine. And Mike McCarthy ended up deciding to, to kick, which I thought was silly. Yeah. And then there was a pass in the flat to an uh, uncovered. Amani Cooper and he fell down and uh, the Steelers stopped him that way. But uh, in the dime, they tried Vince Williams for one snap. They tried Marcus Allen for four snaps and they tried Robert Spillane for three snaps as the uh, inside linebacker with the six defensive backs. And Dallas used a three wide receiver set almost every time. So it wasn't opponent formation driven, all this change. Right, they're, right. they're looking for something that works, Matt. And, uh, it's at midseason, and, you know, the search continues without Devin Bush. Yeah, I mean, I think the recent struggles, or especially this past game, I think they sold the opponent's passing game a little short. I mean, that, uh, hey, I understand it's Gilbert, and obviously if he can beat you, that's going to be the, the approach coming into the game. But you mentioned it. I mean, a lot of base and heavier personnel against three excellent receivers being on the field – and they didn't blitz a high percentage. I haven't seen it, but it sure didn't look like it from the eyeball test. I thought they played very passive with their their pass rush, their, their attacking. And this is an attacking defense. When you t tell them to be passive, I, I think that doesn't lend itself to you know what their strengths are overall. You saw things like Watt and some of these other edge outside linebacker types against slot receivers, which is bound to happen when you have base on the field against 11 personnel. And there's just no way around those type of things. And then I think you're, you know, you're absolutely right about they're searching a little bit. They don't go go make a trade for a guy like Williamson. Not that he's a superstar or anything, but you make that trade because you realize there's a weakness there. And it really brings me back to, you know, the what was it, the, the year 2018 before they had Bush. They were very predictable on defense. They were either really heavy and really slow or they were really light and couldn't stop the run. So you trade up to go get a guy like Bush that can do all the above, and they don't grow on trees, I understand that. So I, I feel like any of these you know, packages minus Bush is going to be somewhat of a tell one way or another, but I think a lot of it stems from not respecting the Dallas passing game, and I thought Gilbert played pretty well. Yeah, he played a lot better than I thought he was going to play. Mm -hmm. uh, they The Cowboys only got the ball in the end zone one time, and they were 
the beneficiaries of some shorter fields or short fields based on the Steelers turning the ball over on downs, uh, the, the long uh, kick, a uh, long punt return, excuse me, when they did that throwback, and then they had the long kickoff return, which ended up getting uh, wiped away by the uh, Minka Fitzpatrick interception in the end zone. I got a hard time panicking about the defense because they only gave up one touchdown and you know a bunch of field goals and some short fields, things like that. Nineteen sure. points is going to win you a lot of games, but. Uh, that third down thing is looming to me. I keep hearing players and coaches talk about wanting to get Tyson Alu Alu back and Mike Hilton back. And uh, Alu Alu, I forgot to mention, was uh, limited for a second consecutive day today. So I don't know if either one of those guys are playing Sunday. But, uh, boy, I'd kind of like to see them come up with something that sticks on uh, third down and uh, something besides the base. Uh, yeah, the base isn't going to cut it on third down. I mean – you know, you get you get T.J. Watt or or Bud Dupree on Tyler Boyd this week, and uh, Tyler Boyd's going to have 200 yards receiving. And Burrow's going to go there over and over and over, and it's going to look like Philip Rivers throwing to Keenan Allen against linebackers. I mean, that's not going to cut it. And a- asking Watt and Dupree to be coverage players is, you know, something you do once in a while, but that can't be uh, something you hang your hat on because then you're, t- you're taking away their great strengths too. So, yeah, I, th- I do think they're searching a little bit. Uh, what's interesting this week is the Bengals play more 11 personnel than any team in the league. And for people who don't know, it's a one back, that's one tight end, three receivers. You're going to see that snap after snap after snap. And if the Steelers are in their base 3-4, that ain't going to cut it either. I mean, you're going to have to have sub-package defense, nickel-dime, some variety of both, depending on how you mix and match your linebackers and and all those type of things. So with all respect to Mike Hilton and Tyson Alou they're very good players. They've both had very good years, uh, especially Alou loss, I think has really been felt in that bug should be playing five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 snaps a game, not, you know, a, a, a full workload. You're going to start wearing on Hayward and to it too much. You know, the depth, especially up front got tested and is starting to crack a little bit. But with all respect to those two, it's not like you lost Nick Bosa or Vaughn Miller. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, everybody loses people. Yeah, I'm, no, yeah, I'm right, with right. you. I don't, I, and I don't want to – it sounds almost critical of those guys, but they got to be replaceable, right? I mean – Yeah, you didn't lose Joe Green Stephon and Stephon Tewitt's irreplaceable. Devin Bush is irreplaceable. Mika Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward. Right. Uh, either one of the outside guys, Water Dupree. Those are the guys where you go, oh, my God, how are we going to get by without these guys? Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't – it shouldn't come to a sudden halt without Mike Hilton and uh, Tyson Alu-Alu in, in terms <laughs> yeah. of effectiveness. Yeah. I mean, ask around the league. I mean, every defense has suffered at least that type of loss. I mean, that's just the way this league works. And, again, they're both playing really, really well. And Alu-Alu, I think, would really be welcome back because, you know, the, the those other three defensive linemen that are getting reps are starting to get exposed a little bit. Now, we did see uh, Bugs kind of figure it out as the game went along in Baltimore, and at least uh, Carlos Davis got some experience in the Dallas game, so a handful of snaps for him. So, uh, you know, they've got they've got reason to maybe expect a little better than they've gotten from those guys so far, but uh, long-term, they will welcome uh, Alu Alu back. Uh, last but not least, before we go to the break here, just uh, without getting too detailed, when you look at the Bengals, uh, you see two five and one, which is about what you expect when you look for the Bengals in the standings. But is this a different Cincinnati team? Do you have a different vibe about these guys because of Joe Burrow? 
Without question, and he scares me for the next dozen years. I think he's going to be a premier quarterback for a very long time. He is putting the team – he's making those around him better as opposed to 99% of rookie quarterbacks that need their surroundings to be optimal. He's already elevating those around him, which I think is really, really impressive. And you got to remember, this is a second-year head coach, too. I mean, he's starting to feel his way through the league a little bit, too. Yeah, I'm with you. I, Joe Burrow, uh, I can't begin to accurately contextualize how impressed I am with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a rookie, but looks like a veteran. And, man, is he a player. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, dive into the Bengals in uh, greater detail. Uh, we'll be joined by a good friend of mine, Randy Slack, who used to be the producer of the DVE Morning Show and uh, do a lot of work with the Steelers on various broadcasts. Randy is now the host of Morning Alternative on Modern Rock 98.7 in Wilmington, North Carolina, and he also hosts Slack on Sports on ESPN Wilmington down in Wilmington, North Carolina. But what makes him the perfect guest is he is also an Ohio guy and a lifelong Bengals fan. So uh, now it adds up. What, I was wondering where. Yeah, I want to want to find out what okay. he's thinking and what he's feeling, and also you know uh, tap into the the fan angst and uh, the sports guy knowledge and uh, see what that adds up to as we get ready for the Steelers and the Bengals Sunday at Heinz Field. We're going to be here until eight o'clock, breaking it down. So keep it here. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. This is Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight here on the flagship and on SNR, getting you ready for the Steelers and the Bengals on Sunday at Heinz Field. Uh, It's our pleasure now to welcome to the program a guy who probably has the most unique perspective on this game possible. Uh, Randy Slack uh, spent uh, some time, uh, endured his sentence, I guess you would say, as the producer of the DVE Morning Show and uh, working on various Steelers broadcasts. I had a lot of conversations about football with this guy in a lot of offices not uh, all that long ago. Uh, He's currently the host of Slack on Sports at ESPN Wilmington down in ESPN, down in Wilmington, North Carolina, but Randy grew up in Ohio and is a lifelong Bengals fan. So uh, he's got this one uh, pretty much covered from all angles. I'm suspecting Uh, we're about to find out if that's the case. Randy, good to hear from you. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here real quick, Mike. When I applied for the job to be the producer of the DV morning show, it listed in the job title that we were, that the DV is the home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'll never forget emailing John Mishita. And he said, can you be, can you root for the Steelers? Can you cover the Steelers? And I said, 14 <laughs> of the 16 games, I'm your guy. So yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a unique relationship that I've had with the Steelers and the Bengals uh, with my time there at the, at the, at the flagship. I can only imagine, but where I wanted to start, Randy, uh, right before the break, Matt and I both announced that we're really impressed with Joe Burrow, and we think this is a different Bengals team. I know 2-5-1 and one is kind of a Bengals-like record, but I think they're really on to something. I get a different vibe, a different feel watching this team play. What, the, what say you as a guy who's watched them uh, in a lot more detail for a lot longer than I have? Well, the way that Joe carries himself is – with confidence and with leadership. And he was, 
he's been out in front of everything, whether it was a football related stuff, whether it was, you know, training camps and talking to the media and talking, meeting with his teammates, whether it was, you know, when all the social issues were, were a big thing and teams were coming out and speaking on things, he was the one who was on the forefront of that, which, you know, to be a rookie, on your team and you're the guy who's standing out there issuing the statement for the team by the team speaks a lot about his character speaks a lot about who he is and you know statistically I saw this today that I found it interesting the Bengals are 12 of 13 on fourth down this year which is just ridiculous that they've attempted fourth down plays 13 times but it's even crazier to think that you've got a rookie decision maker back there and he's been right 14 of the 13 or 12 of the 13 times excuse me that just just goes to show what kind of guy i think he is and you know what he brings to this team slack good to talk to you matt williamson it's been a long time bud how are you (laughs) i'm doing real well matt how you been i'm good i'm real good um i don't have this concern about burrow but i'm asked it all the time when i do radio hits across the country or anytime he comes up are they going to ruin them behind this offensive line? Is it going to be David Carr all over again? I don't really feel that way with him. I think he's mentally tough. You know, I think he is, and I think part of that you can look at uh, him and Carson Wentz yeah. are the quarterbacks that have been sacked the most this year in the NFL. And while Joe Burrow has fumbled the ball eight times, which clearly is a concern, he's a rookie. And the fact that um, he's thrown less interceptions, and he seems more comfortable in the, po- in the pocket than Carson Wentz, who's been in the league for a while, kind of shows you, you know, maybe he does have that mental fortitude. He's already gone through two games where, I mean, he was sacked seven times in one, in one matchup and then eight times against Baltimore. Like, the, guy, the guy's had some games where he's been hit a lot. He's had other games where he hasn't been. He hasn't been hit as much lately. Having said that, Pittsburgh is a different animal when it comes to the pass rush and what they've done. I think the offensive line is a little more solidified than maybe what it was early in the year, just because they played, you know, nine games at this point, they've got some chemistry, but man, you want to talk about a test. There's no bigger test when it comes to facing the pass rush than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, Randy, uh, Burrow is obviously generating uh, most of the headlines and, and most of the attention, but uh, in that victory over Tennessee a couple of Sundays ago, all seven of the draft choices played. And uh, they played yeah. uh, varying levels. But, I mean, it wasn't just Joe Burrow. T. Higgins, second-round receiver out of Clemson, 6'4", 210, really looks like a player. They've got a couple of young inside linebackers, Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. I remember everybody liked him uh, around the draft time. And uh, Akeem Davis-Gaithier, uh, also an inside linebacker. You had uh, a kid starting at left tackle uh, against Tennessee. Uh, basically his first start where it wasn't just a jumbo package, you know, gimmick formation. He was going to be the guy all game long, and uh, he really held up well. That was uh, Hakeem Adenogy. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, the point I'm stumbling to make is it looks like under Zach Taylor, they're turning the page. They're getting away from the A.J. Greens. Dunlap's been traded. I don't know what Geno Atkins' status is, but he doesn't play much anymore. Uh, this team is rebuilding and, and heading in another direction from that uh, team of, uh, you know, middle of uh, the last decade that got to the playoffs but couldn't win in the playoffs. You know, it's really interesting because you've 
not only are they kind of turning over that roster and not only are they are they getting younger which they should you know when you suck you should get rid of your veterans and try to get younger and try to get better but when you when it's not only that but you've seen guys like Carlos Dunlap who's been a, who was a bit of a malcontent when he was there and who was a little frustrated with the things that were going on and AJ Green has had his issues I don't know if if it's Zach Taylor shunning those guys who have been under Marvin Lewis and under the former regime for so long, but it is kind of interesting that some of those veterans that have been on that team uh, for a while. And some of those guys who've been around that organization, now that there is the new coach, now that Zach Taylor's in charge, I'm, I'm not saying that he's rubbing, they're rubbing him the wrong way or what it is, but it definitely seems like he's pushing that youth movement, which, is the way to go because it seems like yeah they have some good young talent on that team yeah i want to stick with coach taylor here a little bit because i think people forget i mean second year head coach very very young i mean doesn't have a ton of experience and la i want to go back to last year because they earned the first overall pick which worked out because of burrow who we talked about but i didn't right. think they were close to the worst team in the league i mean they lost a lot of one score games they, they played hard. They battled back when they were losing. And that's held up this year, too. I think that's a good sign for the coach. You know, they fight. They really do. Um, it is a little, to me, it's it's weird. And maybe it's just really, really the worst luck of all time. And we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> um, you know, this is a, this is a team that, that let Bill Walsh go away for, uh, for Tiger Johnson to be the successor to Paul Brown. You know, but that's a story for a different time. And Greg Cook and Carson Palmer and all those other things. We don't need to get into all that stuff. Um, but, hey, the Steelers cut yeah. Johnny Unitas, all right? <laughs> Every, everybody <laughs> blows one once in a while. <laughs> but, but what I'm getting at is, under Zach Taylor, the Bengals are 0-12 in one-score games. Like, some of that, I don't know that's if crazy, some yeah. of that's poor management, if it's poor clock management, if it's just – you know, Randy Bullock. Randy Bullock's missed two field goals this year. One of them would have tied a game in Week One against the Chargers, and one of them would have made it a one a one point game against the Indianapolis Colts. And then instead, it was a four point game. Burrow forces a pass, gets intercepted late. Does that game change if they only need a field goal at the end? I don't know, but it's it's so weird that this team always finds themselves over the last two years as a team that just cannot win those one-score games. But, yeah, to your point, they've been just so close. I think some of it has to be just a young coach understanding how to win games in this league. And, you know, that's a hard thing to put your finger right. on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that team last year did not have a lot of talent. You know, they were they were a team that was depleted. And even so this year, I mean, the skill position players, there's some great, you know, great guys on the outside when you've got your Tyler Boyd's, your – your T. Higgins, your Joe Mixons, uh, Giovanni Bernard's a great player. But when you're bad in the trenches on both sides of the ball, you can't stop the run, you can't protect your quarterback, you're 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 putting yourself behind the eight ball there. All right, Randy, that was uh, great analytical stuff uh, in your football savvy is shown. But now, <laughs> now I want you to, uh, you know, paint the black and orange stripes across your face and uh, put the put the fan hat on. You're getting ready to play Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Are you just counting the minutes because you think you're bringing Joe Burrow and, and you're fighting with both hands this time? Or are you staying up at night 
twisting and turning and thinking of horrendous nightmares of Steelers Bengals games past. And if it's the latter, what's what's driving you crazy? What will always drive you crazy about this rivalry from the Cincinnati side? Well, I mean, the thing is, when it comes to when it comes to Steelers Bengals, when it comes to a young hotshot quarterback wearing the number nine, the first thing that is always going to come to mind is the 2005 wildcard game where Kima von Ohoffen takes the dirtiest shot of all time and <laughs> blows out Carson Palmer's knee and ruins what would have been that 2005 playoff game was the Bengals version of the 2013 wildcard game that the Pirates beat the Cincinnati Reds. But instead, you know, it, it, it would have been like if – Johnny Cueto hit Andrew McCutcheon in the head on the first pitch and it cutches out the rest of the, the rest of the game and, and it deflates the building. That was a horrible thing. You know, so you've got that, you've got the time that Antonio Brown, like kicked the punter in the, in the face and like broke his jaw. You've got the time where Keith Rivers got blindsided by Heinz Ward and got his jaw broken. And then there was that, that they made a rule about that play because of Heinz Ward. You've got, you know, all these, just different times where it just seems like, you know, am I saying that some that Bud Dupree is probably going to try to pile drive Joe Burrow and break his collarbone? No, but like if it happened, would I be surprised? Because that's just what <laughs> always seems to happen in these kind of things. Hey, you know, it's uh, it, it's just it's just convenient. It always happens to us. Never mentioned Vontez Perfect once. Yeah, you left one out there, <laughs> dude. Well, look. We we had to do something, you know what I mean? Like eventually, if you're walking down the street, if you're walking home from, you park your car, you walk down the street, you're getting mugged once a week. Eventually, you're going to buy a gun or a baseball bat or get a pit bull or something. You know, maybe they got the wrong weapon, but they had to do something. They had to try to match the physicality of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you know getting kicked in the face for. You know, since 1970s, it's it, what are you going to do? You you got to you got to try something. Well, I think trying Joe Joe Burrow's the way to go, Randy. We got to let you go, but uh, really enjoyed catching up. Uh, appreciate the Bengals insight, and I did kind of enjoy the Bengals angst a little bit. Also, I you knew that's why I was bringing you on to to hear a little of that from the other side. But you really expressed it well. Uh, good luck on Sunday. I got a pack of Marlboro Reds ready. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That was Randy Slack, uh, the host of Slack on Sports, uh, ESPN, ESPN Wilmington in Wilmington, North Carolina, guy who uh, used to work right here in the fighting city of Pittsburgh here at the WDVE, the Steelers flagship, and a lifelong Bengals fan. Uh, Matt, I don't think Steelers fans – well, I'm going to take that back. I think Steelers fans do appreciate how uh, the success of their team drives uh, the fans of the other team crazy. Yeah, it seems to be an Ohio thing. There's a little bit of envy <laughs> and some bad, bad memories. We'll get back to the nuts and bolts uh, on the other side of the break. Uh, Merrill Hodge, our uh, regular guest, will join us and we'll break down uh, how good Joe Burrow really is and why the Steelers can't run the ball and the other pertinent stuff. So keep it here with Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Persuda. We're going to be here till 8 o'clock tonight. This is Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5. DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you till 8 o'clock tonight on Steelers preview. Time now to welcome the third member of our Thursday night team, Merrill Hodge, joining us as he does each and every week. And Merrill, maybe you can 
provide a little clarity. I'm uh, bouncing back and forth, uh, being excited about uh, the way that Ben Roethlisberger has been spreading the offense out and uh, throwing the ball around with such great success the last couple of weeks in these comeback second halves. I'm really excited about that, but I'm really concerned about the defense, the run defense, the third down defense. Where should I be focusing my energy leading into this Bengals game? <laughs> you know, um, I, I, well, it depends on what you're concerned about with the, the run defense for the Steelers. Now, you know, one thing you got to remember, what was a, what's a big difference and what is a difficult task and an arduous task. Um, when you're looking at the last three weeks, um, let's use the Cowboys, for example. Um, before we get to the Cowboys, let's go to the Ravens. Okay, the Titans are a very simplistic running style. You know, I mean, you kind of know where they're going to go, what kind of stuff they're going to do. And there's one runner. Whereas the Ravens, even though they're very complicated, they have options with their runners. Um, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, the thing I thought that stood out when you watched them on tape is the Steelers will play some different fronts, as I think you guys are well aware of. I think Steeler fans are well aware of, you know, They'll take Bud Dupree, stand him up, um, sometimes T.J. Watt, and they'll slide the defensive line over. Well, the Cowboys actually had – you could tell they were checking to that. When they saw that front, they were running away from the defensive line. And when you do that, you run into the weakness of that defense, quite honestly, you know, because you don't have the big guys down in the trenches. And they got them a couple times with doing that. That's good coaching. You know, that's, that's part of why I always say, you know, I don't care about their records. You know, um, does it mean that you're just going to beat them because they're bad? They have a bad record? No, you're going to have to earn it. They're going to do things to get better. They're going to do things to attack you. Uh, in fact, they did. I think they did things to the Steelers to make them a better team. Um, case in point, I, they took advantage of them. Um, that touchdown pass they threw. You know, that that's probably a tendency the Cowboys thought thought the Steelers would be into because you dialed, they dialed that up perfectly. So that was obviously something they felt they could get them in. They anticipated they would be in, which is what happens in football, has always happened in football, and is really what makes the NFL the very most elite. It's not just how good the athletes are and how quick and fast it is. It's the the IQ of it, the intellect of it, the strategy and the thinking and the scheming that goes on on every down in every uh, in every game. Um that makes it the most complete and sophisticated and the most difficult to play in. So um, I wouldn't be too, too caught off about that. And that Cowboy offensive line, I'm going to tell you this, I've watched them all year. They played their very best against the Steelers, you know. Now, listen, they come in undefeated. I mean, you would expect that. You know, you clearly do expect, you know, that time, that level of, of, um, of, of display from a professional team on the other side. I thought they had a good game plan. I thought they got them into some – they audibled um, based on what they saw, and they stung them a few times. But I wouldn't completely lose my mind over that. And the Ravens, that's a beast anyway, no matter how you look at look at uh, a handle on them. Um, but overall, listen, I'd be more worried about some of the coverage stuff that they make mistakes on, quite honestly, than their run defense. I'd be more concerned about that. You know, people get big plays on them in the passing game. And that's a concern, and that has been a pretty consistent basis. Um, that'd be the thing I'd be more concerned about than their run defense. Merrill, did did you feel like, and you know, understand why the that the defensive game plan just didn't respect Gilbert all that much? You know, when they trotted out those three good receivers, 
the Steelers were still a little more heavier sets. Uh, I mean, do you think that was the logic going into that game? Well, you know, there's there's good and bad when you look at a guy you've never seen on tape before. You know, um, you don't know what to expect. You know, and, and, and that can quite honestly be a little more difficult to defend. Uh, well, I'll argue it is more difficult to defend. You know, when you really don't know the strengths and weaknesses of him, nor how the game plan is going to be, um, how they're going to dial up their game plan. Um, and what, what, what do they trust this kid doing? Um, what, they, what they don't trust the kid doing, you know, you're going to learn that as you go throughout the game. So that was another thing that um, – that's why when I looked at how they game planned, I thought they – as a coaching staff, they did a really good job. They gave – they had a good game plan of getting them in good plays, take advantage of, say, some of the weaknesses or vulnerabilities that the Steelers would show and the tendencies they would get into. So um, I credit the coaches there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, they end up finding ways to win at the end, which is really a sign of a championship team. You know, I know we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, but that is a sign of a championship team. I'm just telling you, finding, making corrections and making the plays that matter at the end of the game when it's really not going your way. Merrill, when we did this show last year uh, on Bengals Week, uh, we talked about their offensive line as maybe the worst you had ever seen, maybe the worst Matt and I had ever seen. Now, yeah. it's it's kind of in a state of flux, but it looks better. They started four different guys against Tennessee than they had started the previous week. I don't know who they're going to start on Sunday in a couple of spots, right tackle in particular, but uh, are they starting to figure things out in year two of the Zach Taylor regime? Well, Based on their last couple of weeks, and last week really was their best week as a group. They played um, as good as I've seen them play in a year and a half. Um, you know, you go back to that game that we were all referencing to. It was, I'm telling you, it was, the, it was probably the worst display I've ever seen as an offensive line until week one this year. I mean, like the Eagles were in play. Um, I mean, there's a lot of teams in play. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. The Eagles were in play. They were so bad up front. I was just like – in fact, there was a whole host of teams, Cincinnati being one of them as well. There you're like, oh, my gosh, it was just so bad in the entire NFL. Um, not just – it wasn't just one team. There was about a half a dozen teams, if not ten, that were just like, oh, my gosh, this is just – and that's how they lost the game because their offensive line was just so bad. But they have made massive strides. Um, um, and that, that, you know, that just – that percolates everywhere, though. Then that, you know, your quarterback plays better, um, and he's a very talented uh, – I think he's a special player. Um, they got good runners. Um, I like – I mean, Mixon's hurt, but the guys they've got in there are dangerous. They're developing chemistry on the outside with Higgins. Um, he's become kind of his big play guy, you know. And, and Green is kind of filling in. It's kind of like um, he's not their difference maker right now, which obviously has potential and, you know, we've got to be concerned with him. So – this is a, a a dangerous team. You know, they are playing much better. They're getting them at a much different time than, say, Cleveland did on their, uh, their especially their first one. Um, and even their second one, they weren't quite playing like they are um, playing right now. And Merrill, you mentioned Mixon, and I'm not sure if he's going to play or not, but what, what does that mean to him if he's in or out? I mean, when, when Coach Taylor took this over, I'm sure he envisioned Mixon as his Todd Gurley coming from the Rams, and – Frankly, on his best yeah. day, I think Mixon's more talented than Gurley. Well, I tell you what, when he came out, he was their best. He was the best running back in football. You know, he had, had off the field issues, mm -hmm. but he was their best. He was the best runner. 
And I, I do believe he's still their best runner. I, Solomon Wilcox and I are, are, are dear friends, and we go back and forth on this one. Very seldom do we see things. I like it when you see things. How, you know when you've heard this saying, the eye, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And sometimes talent is in the eye of the beholder, too. He loves Giovanni uh, Bernard. And I do, too. Actually, I like, uh, Gio does a lot of great things. He's not quite the runner mixing it. Um, but he's very good in the passing game, and he's no slouch in the running game. Don't give me, don't give me any stretch. I don't think they uh, they worry for a second. He doesn't quite have Mixon's power. Um, they're both very elusive, but uh, I think Giovanni Bernard is much better in the passing game as far as picking up blitzes. Um, Mixon occasionally will make a mental error, and that's not the kind of guy you want to have against the Steelers. You know, if there's one flaw as a whole that this team has struggled with, no matter who they've played, as long as they can do what I'm about to say. And that doesn't mean everybody can. Like, Tennessee can't do what I'm about to say. Give, give, yourself, give a team a lot of different front looks and then bring pressures off of those front looks. Um, like the Ravens. Ravens destroyed them. I mean, just tore them up. And they didn't handle any of their, hardly any of their pressures. They had three guys running all over the place, hitting their quarterback. They were in disarray. That's why I expect the Steelers to do something like that conceptually more than maybe we have seen them all, all season, just because they do struggle with that. And when you see a team struggling like that, I will tell you this, and you can guarantee you that they're going to show it. They're going to see if they can handle, you know, showing two guys in the ground, three guys wandering around, DBs in the box, leaving the box, entering the box. Now they're going to challenge them in that area because they've struggled with that conceptually. And so um, that might be the difference in the game, quite honestly. Yeah, Merrill, uh, Keith Butler, it's interesting you bring that up. Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, talked today about a big part of the plan against Burrow being trying to confuse him because he thinks he's so yep. good at getting the ball out of his hand quickly when he knows yep. what he's going against, and he's so accurate and so aggressive. They want to make some indecision creep in. Uh, in two minutes or less, can they do that? Absolutely. They're geared to do that. See, like if you ask me if Tennessee could do that, I'm like, no, Tennessee's <laughs> not built to do that. You know, that's not what they do schematic-wise. Um, Steelers are clearly teams. You go back and look at the Giant game. I think one of the first sacks um, Hilton, I believe he had on, I believe he had in that game, was kind of a conceptual um, pressure that I'm talking about. The Steelers can do that, and they can. They haven't had to do it to a, in a bunch of games. This was is a game where you could see a lot more of it because it is dead right. They don't handle it very well. In anybody who's done it to them, they've not done it, done it well. It's been a problem all year. So I would expect to see quite a bit of it, more than we've probably seen all year. So impressed with Burrow as we are, uh, we shouldn't sweat this one. They're going to they're gonna figure it out and get it done. Well, let me just say, if it's a clean game, yes, the Steelers are a better football team. They're just a better football team, um, top to bottom. Um, but you know how games go. You know, <laughs> clean game, if anybody <laughs> can tell you it's going to be a clean game, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, just, that's a for sure deal. Then yeah, that's win. But you gotta, you know, Cincinnati's done a good job of getting turnovers. You know, they've gotten them in, in some games, but they've been very kind in giving it back too to let teams get back in it. So, um, but I think that what we're, we always talked about conceptually, defensively, they have a big advantage um, in this one as far as being able to do that. To but it's not just Burrow; it's the guys that are protecting him. And sometimes that's forgotten. It's not just the quarterback. Yeah. It's the guys that are protecting him up front. If they're confused, well, your quarterback's not going to be upright very long. So, as a well, whole, they've struggled with that. If it's both of them, Cincinnati's got a problem. Merrill, great stuff. 
Great stuff as always. Appreciate it. We will uh, look forward to talking to you next week when the Steelers hopefully are shooting for 10-0. 9-0, baby. All right. Always enjoy it, man. Have a good night. Merrill Hodge uh, joining us as he always does. That's going to do it for tonight. Uh, thanks to Randy Slack from uh, ESPN Wilmington down in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina for joining us. Matt, Matt, you feeling okay about this one? Yeah, I'm feeling real good about it. I think the Steelers kind of embarrassed themselves a little by their standards last week, come back strong, maybe get a little healthier too. And uh, I think Burrow's going to be a thorn in their side for many years, but not on Sunday. Yeah, I think it's going to be close, but uh, not close enough. That's going to do it for our show. Uh, Matt and I will be doing this again next thirty, uh, next Thursday. Excuse me. Join us then. Until then, for Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You've been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.